Good morning, brothers and sisters and friends. Please open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. This morning we will be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the basket underneath one of the chairs in front of you. Uh, If you're using that Bible, it will be page 977. Ephesians chapter 4, we will be in verses 11 through 16, but I'll begin reading from verse 1 just to give us some context. But before I read, join me as I ask for the Lord's favor on our time and his word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified this morning. Lord, as we have sung and prayed and heard from this pulpit already, you are good, you are great, you are glorious, you are merciful, you are holy, and Lord, we desire your glory. I pray that as I preach this morning and as your people hear these words, Lord, that you would be glorified, that your word would be made clear, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law. Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory. Make me less, Lord, make the congregation less, that you may be made greater and greater in our hearts. Lord, I pray a blessing over our time in your word this morning. In your name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord reads, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Last week, Pastor Jeff took us through verses 7 through 10, and he showed us the context of spiritual gifts and why it's important for us to know who gave us these gifts and what he did to give us these gifts. These gifts are not from just anybody. They are from Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the God-man, 
from the promised king who conquered sin, death, and the enemy by dying on the cross for our sins, by descending into death, declaring victory to the captives, and ascending to the right hand of the Father. And he sent the Spirit to give gifts to his people to equip us for the work of ministry so that the body might be built up. That is the context of the gifts. That's who gave them and what he did to give them. And now that we know the context, we need to know what they are. What is the nature and purpose of these gifts? What are they and what are they for? I think I can illustrate the importance of this with an earthly example. If someone you love gives a gift to you and they tell you that they've put thought and time and energy into choosing a gift especially for you and you open it and you have no idea what they gave you, then what good is that gift going to do? You don't despise the gift. You don't despise the person who gave it to you. You love them, and you love that they have given something to you. But if you don't know what it's for, then it's just going to collect dust. A friend of mine, as as a wedding gift, gave me a meat smoker, and I have enjoyed that thoroughly. And I have had the pleasure of sharing the the fruits of that gift with, uh, with my friends and with my family. But if I didn't know what it was, if I just thought it was a giant tin can that I leave in my backyard... And what good would it do? None of us would get to enjoy the fruits of that gift. It would just be in the backyard collecting dust. Christ, the King, has given us gifts. By his, by his condescension, by his death on the cross, by his descension to Sheol, by his ascension to the right hand of the Father, he has given gifts to his people. And these are to glorify God. We see that in the end of chapter 3, where Paul says to him who, or pardon me, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. These are for the glory of God so that his glory might be displayed in the church. But if we don't know what these gifts are or what they're for, then what good will they do? And so you can see the main idea in our passage this morning is that we will see the nature and purpose of spiritual gifts so that we might effectively and joyfully labor for the maturity of the body of Christ. But here, something inescapable must be pointed out, something about this passage that we cannot get away from, and that is the fact that these are gifts that Christ gives to his people, to all who have repented of their sins and believed in him. These are not gifts for all people everywhere. These are gifts for all who have believed in him, for all who have been born again, for all who have been saved. And so, friend, if you are here this morning and you have not repented of your sins and believed in him, then the hard task falls to me to tell you that these gifts that Christ gave his church are not yours. But... The joyful task now falls to me that the door is easily opened, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, that you may today, even this very moment, enjoy the grace of God by repenting of your sins and believing in him, by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The fact, beloved, which the Lord has graciously revealed to us in scripture is that he is the king. 
creator owns creation. He created and upholds all things. And we see in Genesis that when he created, he created all things good. He made a world of fullness and beauty and goodness and created man to rule over it and to enjoy it and enjoy him and his grace forever. And man rebelled, sinned, committed cosmic treason against the king and so brought a curse to us and to all creation. But God in his grace did not leave us in our sin or in our death, but he gave a promise for a redeemer. And that redeemer is Jesus Christ, God the Son taking on humanity and living a perfect sinless life representing us so that his righteousness could be accounted to all of those who believe in him. And he died a substitutionary atoning death. He died a death on the cross as our substitute so that our penalty would be put on him. He descended into Sheol and he rose from the grave three days later showing that he has dealt a decisive blow against sin, death, and the enemy. Showing his victory over the curse. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father, showing that all of us who are united to Christ by faith are approved by the Father because our representative, Jesus Christ, ascended and was approved by the Father. And friend, he is coming again to judge the living and the dead and to bring his kingdom in full for eternity. And now all of us who have sinned, all of us who have followed in the steps of our first parents and thus rebelled against the Lord, we can be brought in to his kingdom. Though we are enemies, Christ died for us, and all of us who have believed in him and repented of our sins, submitted ourselves under his lordship, may now be his people, his children, and thus receive his grace, the grace of life and life abundant, life eternal, the grace of his word and the grace of the church, as we will see here, the beauty and the goodness of God in providing for his people here in this life is a grace that we receive if we have believed in him. And so, friend, if you have not repented of your sins and believed in him, I would ask you and plead with you, and so far as the word permits me, even command you to repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him for your salvation. Submit to him, for it is good to trust and obey the Lord. And there is no other hope for our salvation but in him. And then believing in him, you would then come to receive his grace. His grace of eternal life and his grace of the church. And that as you see how greatly Christ has supplied his church in this passage, that you would come to understand something of what the psalmist meant when he said that one day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. And that in believing in him, you would come to enjoy in this life many days in the house of the Lord and in the life to come endless days in the house of the Lord. So friend, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have believed, then brother, sister, see how great our Lord is. See how gracious he is. We know that it is difficult to live in a world of sin and death, to live in a body of sin and death as we struggle. 
And yet Paul has called us, we see in in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. His prayer is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How are these things to be? How are we to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? It is a lofty task. Beloved, take heart because Christ has richly supplied us with everything we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so we will see the nature and purpose of these spiritual gifts so that we might effectively and joyfully labor for the maturity of the body of Christ. And we'll see that by seeing the nature of the gifts, the purpose of the gifts, the results of the gifts, and finally the goal of the gifts. First look at the nature of the gifts in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And we know from other passages such as 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4 that this list is not exhaustive. These are not all the gifts that Christ has given, but Paul is focusing on the the gifts that he gave to the church for the purpose of leading and guiding and teaching so that we would know that that we are richly supplied to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so he begins with the apostles and the prophets. These he already mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. When Christ ascended, he sent out the apostles to go and preach the good news and establish churches. And during that early time in the church, before the canon of scripture was closed, he gave prophets. Uh, He gave men that were gifted with divine revelation from the Lord that would be there to help guide and, and clarify the word of God to the church. And, and here we may be tempted to say, well, I guess God gave back some of his gifts or took back some of his gifts because we don't have apostles and prophets walking among us now. That was for them at that time, but what about us? Why don't we get apostles and prophets? But beloved, by God's grace, we have the word of God. We have the words of the apostles and the words of the prophets. We don't have everything that they, say, that they said, but we have everything that we need. God in his grace has richly supp- supplied us with his word, which Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. It is divinely inspired. It is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, for teaching, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And that word was written down and preserved for thousands of years, for generations, beloved. God in his grace, by the hands of men and women who shed tears and sweat and blood to bring this word to you. God has now delivered it to you. We may not have all the Paul or all the John or all the Peter that we want, but by God's grace, we have all the Paul that we need all the Peter that we need, all the John that we need. We have everything that we need for life and godliness here preserved in plain language in our laps. So beloved, God has not taken back the gift of the apostles and prophets. Rather, he has preserved that gift from generation after generation. He gave the apostles and the prophets and he gave the evangelists 
men and women especially equipped for the preaching of the gospel. And here I want to make something clear. There are people that are especially equipped for the preaching of the gospel, but that does not absolve all of us of the call to preach the gospel. Christ told his disciples to make disciples of all nations, and that command extends to us. If we have believed in Christ, we are to make disciples of all nations. And the first step in making a disciple is evangelism. You cannot teach someone to follow the Lord Jesus Christ if they have not believed in the first place. So beloved, we all must be ready and willing to do the work of an evangelist, but by his grace, there are people especially equipped for that work. To give you an illustration, there may be some parents that are especially talented in cooking food for their children, but all parents have the duty to feed their children. And the fact that some are especially equipped to do so does not absolve the rest of the responsibility to do so. And so we thank God that he gifted men to preach the gospel. And think back on your own life, beloved. When you first believed in the gospel, it happened more likely than not because somebody preached it to you. Maybe you believed when they preached it to you. Maybe you believed sometime after they preached it to you. But the fact is, you believe because somebody at some point did the work of an evangelist. And it may very well be that there was a man or woman gifted in evangelism not far removed from that event. Maybe the person who preached to you was an evangelist or was discipled by one or taught by one or was encouraged by one. Beloved, God is, is gracious to give us men and women who are especially equipped to preach the gospel. If he hadn't, then it may be that we wouldn't be here believing in the gospel now. So God gave the, pro, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and next he gave the shepherds and teachers. And here I just want to make a quick point and let you know that there are differing views as to whether Paul is speaking about two groups or one group here. Uh, is Paul talking about shepherds and teachers, or is he talking about shepherd teachers? Are these both meant to describe one office? In, in which case it would be translated that Christ gave shepherds, that is, teachers. I am not an expert on, on this debate, and even if I was, I don't think we would have time to get into it today. So if you want to hear more about it, you can talk to me after the service, but I will tell you that I'm convinced that Paul is speaking of two separate gifts here, two separate groups of people, shepherds and teachers. And so I'll refer to them as such. And again, if you want to hear more about that, you can talk to me, or you can pick up uh, Daniel B. Wallace's book on Greek grammar. He talks about that in his book, and I was convinced by his arguments. But here, I believe Paul is talking about shepherds and teachers. <clears throat> and the shepherds, <clears throat> pardon me, the shepherds are the men that are especially equipped for the care of souls. God has gifted specific men for the work of shepherding a portion of his flock. And we praise the Lord that he gave these men. And that here at Redeemed South Bay, six of those men have been appointed to the office of overseer, to the office of pastor, for the purpose of shepherding the flock, of teaching us, of feeding us, of guiding us, of counseling us. And here I have a golden opportunity, a rare opportunity perhaps, to encourage and exhort 
all, all of our pastors here from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Brothers, if you have been put in this office by Christ, if he has gifted you for the work of shepherding, that means two things. First is that your office is a holy one, that you have been set apart by Christ for this work. You were not elected by popular vote, by God's sovereignty, you are shepherds of a portion of his flock. And so this is a weighty task. This is a weighty task, brothers. You will give an account to our Lord for the souls that he has put in your care. And so brothers, don't grow weary in that work. It is a weighty one. This is not something that you do because there are no other options. This is a weighty job. And yet, there's another thing that this means. If you have been gifted by Christ for the purpose of shepherding, then that means that you have been specially equipped for this work. That, th that Christ has not called you to a specific job and then left you to your own devices, but he has richly supplied you according to the measure of his grace for this work. And so, brothers, don't grow weary in doing this work, though it is weighty. It is a job that God has appointed you to, and he will not leave his children to their own devices to obey him. To the rest of the congregation, don't think you're getting off scot-free here. Our shepherds are gifts to us from the Lord. They have been especially appointed by the Lord for the work of caring for our souls. And so, beloved, honor these men, not because they in and of themselves are worthy of honor, but because God has given them authority in this local congregation, because God himself has appointed them, and so we honor these men. Heed the words of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Beloved brothers and sisters, let us be men and women who love our leaders well, who honor them well, who remember them well, by not hiding ourselves from them, for they will give an account for us to the Lord. So let us remember them, pray for them, and not be a hindrance in their work. He gave the apostles, prophets, shepherds, and teachers. These are men who are to help the shepherds in teaching and clarifying God's word. Men that have been especially equipped, not specifically for the care of souls, but for the specific work of teaching. And you can think of Nehemiah chapter 8, where Ezra reads the law to the assembly, and then other gifted men go through the congregation and give the sense of the word to each person. You can see that in Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Beloved, see how great Christ's supplication is, how great his provision is for us. Matthew Henry put it this way, how kind is Christ to his church, how careful of it and of its edification. When he ascended, he, he procured the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost are various, 
Some have greater, others have less measures, but all for the good of the body. Christ is a good king, a good shepherd, and he has richly supplied his church with these gifts. But for what purpose? We see that in verse 12. And here, beloved, I want us to grasp this tightly. Verse 11 and 12 is such a clear passage on God's design for the church, for his body. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, for what reason? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. These gifts have a purpose, and the purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And two words I I want to clarify here, saints, this is not talking about super Christians. This is not some higher class of Christian. These are not the Christians that have been in the Lord for at least 20 years, or the ones that have gone to seminary, or the ones that have gone on missions trips. No, beloved, a saint is anyone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thus has been set apart by him. When Paul speaks of saints, he speaks of believers. And so if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for 40 years or for four days or for four minutes, you are a saint. And so this passage is for you. And he equips the saints for the work of ministry. Again, that word ministry isn't talking about just the work of shepherding or just missions work. That word ministry simply means service for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, these gifts to the church are given so that all believers would be equipped to serve the body for the purpose of building up the body. Any service, formal or informal, that is for the edification and building up of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we've been called to. Beloved, I want to point something out there to equip the saints for ministry all believers for the work of ministry. No matter how young you are, how old you are, no matter how well educated you are, no matter how long you have been a Christian, if you have believed, then Christ has given you gifts to equip you for the work of serving your brothers and sisters and building them up in the Lord. That is not a work you have to wait to do. That's not a work you have to go to college to learn how to do. That's not a work that you have to Uh, ascend to. That is a work that God has given you now. It's a work that he has richly supplied you for. So, brother, sister, don't fall into the trap of thinking that, that you have to, you have to get your, your education or you have to wait some amount of time in order to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ and build them up into Christ. That is the work that God has supplied you for now. He has equipped you for now. There is no reason to wait in serving the body for the purpose of building up the body. So that is the nature and the purpose of these gifts. He gave the the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What then is the result of these gifts? We see in verse 13. 
that the result of these gifts is effectively an answer to Paul's prayer beforehand and his command in chapter 4. Recall that in chapter 3, at the end, Paul, his prayer for the church is that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And his exhortation is to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How are we to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? How are we to be filled with all the fullness of him who fills all things? And how are sinful men to be to how are sinful men to maintain the unity that the spirit of all power and truth gave to the church? These are tall orders, but Paul here shows us that Christ has equipped us for this very thing. That the result of being equipped to serve the saints for the building up of the body of Christ is that we would attain the unity of faith, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God we see in, in verse 13. That we would grow into a mature man and that we would attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. First, we see that unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that the Spirit unites us to Christ by illuminating the word. That as we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, that our faith increases. And as our faith increases, our love of God increases. And as our love increases, we desire to know the Lord more and more. And as all of us are doing that, all of us are growing into the one Christ, into the one faith. And so all the individuals of the church as we are growing in the knowledge of God and growing in our faith, we are being united by the Spirit because he is leading all of us into the one faith, into the one Lord. It does not mean our, our distinctions or individuality gets left behind. Rather, it means that they are overcome into something greater, that they are caught up into something greater, namely Christ and so as we are increasing in the knowledge of God and increasing in our faith, the Spirit is uniting us as we are being built up in the one faith and the one Christ. And we also see that idea of unity in the next phrase, to mature manhood. Another way to say that is a mature man. That's not mature men, but the one body the many individuals in the body are being built up to a mature man. We see that contrasted later in our passage when he says that we would not be children tossed to and fro by the wind and waves. And then finally, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that as we behold Christ, the Spirit is making us like Christ, that we are being conformed into the image of the Son of God. So the result of these gifts is the growth of the body, the maturing of the body, the sanctification of the body, the unification of the body, that we are growing in the knowledge and faith of the Son of God and thus by God's grace being made more and more like our Lord and thus all of us are being unified. Those prayers that Paul gave to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to be filled with all the fullness of God happens as we come and are equipped and serve one another for the building up of the body. As I hear the word preached 
as I am led in singing the word, as I hear the word prayed, as, as I minister the word to others and they counsel me in the word, and as I see brothers and sisters living out the word of God, walking in a way worthy of the calling to which they have been called, as I see husbands loving their wives as God commanded in the word and wives submitting to their husbands as God commanded, as I see parents loving their children and raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, And as I see brothers and sisters from all different backgrounds loving one another and caring for one another, rejoicing when one another rejoices, grieving when the other grieves, helping one another when we are weak, encouraging when we're faint-hearted, and admonishing when we are unruly. Beloved, as I hear and as I see, I am growing in my knowledge and faith of Christ, and thus I am being brought up into him by the Spirit. And all of us are being brought in, up into him together. And beloved, that is why it is important for us to not neglect meeting with one another, as is the habit of some. Why we must not be men and women who isolate ourselves. Growth does not happen in a vacuum It is God's design that we grow in the church. And it is a good design, beloved. As we run this race with endurance, we run it side by side with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that when we stumble, they can come and help us up. If I am running a race by myself and I stumble, I fall flat on my face. If I am running this race with my brothers and sisters in Christ, fellowshipping with them, living life with them, hearing their heart and pouring my heart out to them, then when I fall, when I stumble, I have a host of brothers and sisters there to encourage me when I'm faint-hearted, to help me when I'm weak, and to admonish me when I'm unruly. So brothers, remember the words of Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Do not be those who isolate yourself, whether physically or relationally. It's easy enough to come here Sunday after Sunday to to sing the words, to take the notes, and then leave before anybody gets a chance to say hi to you. Brothers, you can, brothers and sisters, you can be here and still be isolating yourself. I encourage you, I exhort you, admonish you, do not isolate yourself. Dear brothers and sisters, make yourself known to your brothers and sisters, to your pastors, that you would have help as we run this race with endurance. And finally, what is the goal of these gifts? We see that in verses 14 through 16. And it can be summed up in this, the goal of the gifts is the growth of the body the growth of the body. And Paul puts this in a negative term and a positive term. The negative term is that so we would not be like children tossed to and fro, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And beloved, we are surrounded, are we not? Surrounded by human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful schemes, and every wind of doctrine. It's at our very fingertips. You can find any teacher you want online, and therefore, 
you can find a host of false teachers, of prideful teachers, of haughty teachers, of hateful teachers. So as I said before, as, as I am running this race with my brothers and sisters and I'm sharing life with them, I have a host of brothers and sisters that are able to correct me when I falter, when I go wrong, when I've been listening to false teachers. It comes out in my conversations and then I have brothers and sisters, I have teachers and shepherds to call me out, to lovingly correct me, as Paul says in 15, to speak the truth in love. So thus I am protected against false doctrine by being equipped by the shepherds and the teachers and the word of God and being served by my brothers and sisters and serving my brothers and sisters as well. I'm protected against false doctrine. And then Paul puts it in a positive term. These, the results, or pardon me, the goal of these gifts is the growth of the body. Put positively, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ's design for the church is to equip it for growth so that the body builds itself up in love. But lest we think that this is some self-sufficient machine, that this is a, a body that works in and of itself, recall that Christ is the head of the body. He is the king, he is the Lord, and it is he that gives the growth. That humbles us, beloved, because that means that we are not the ones who are ultimately responsible. We don't get the credit for his growth, but Christ is glorified in the church as we are equipped and serve one another and grow up into him. But this also, beloved, means that we are not left to our own devices, that the body is not left to itself to grow, but that Christ as the head leads and richly supplies his people for the growth of the body. So, beloved, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that our role in the church is significant. Whether it's on Sundays or our midweek meetings or just the time that we fellowship with one another outside of these four walls, it's not a spectator sport. We're not here just to listen and hear and go home and don't do anything with it. By Christ's design, by his grace, he is glorified by making us real ingredients in one another's sanctification. Such that my growth is stunted if I am isolated from the body. And in some measure, the body and the body's growth is stunted if I am not here serving the ministry. My growth is stunted if you are not here serving the brethren for the building up of the body of Christ. Beloved, this is, is not a spectator sport. Growth from God is not given just by the pastors or just by the teachers. 
He does grow us through their work, yes, but their work also equips us to be a part of that work in each other. So beloved, do not take your role in the church lightly. Do not take it lightly, but also do not fall into the trap of thinking that you have been left to your own devices. You are a real ingredient in the sanctification of your brothers and sisters. You are a real part of their growth into the image of Christ. And it is not by your own doing, it is by God's sovereign design, by his grace, by the gifts that he has given to supply us for the work of walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So take your role seriously, beloved, and joyfully, because Christ has richly supplied you for that work. And in terms of application, there are many things that we could say about application in terms of serving the body, but Paul is going to get into that in the rest of Ephesians. But I would challenge you with, with one very simple way of applying this. If you are someone who tends to leave church soon or, or you're someone who doesn't have many real heart-to-heart conversations with your brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you, every Sunday, make it a point to have one conversation with a brother or sister. And make it a conversation not about sports or entertainment in and of themselves, but about where we are with the Lord. Draw out their heart and let your heart be known so that you might encourage one another or help one another or admonish one another. Remember, beloved, that this is not of ourselves, not of, or not for ourselves, but it is from Christ, it is through Christ, and it is to Christ. To him alone be the glory. Amen. Dear Lord, I pray that you would bless this congregation. Lord, may we be men and women who are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And Lord, may we not float around like children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Lord, may we take this work seriously. May we take up the equipment that you have given us, not for our own glory, but to serve one another in humility and gentleness and thus build one another up in love. In Christ, through all of it, may we not lean on our own strength, but yours. And Lord, may it all be not to us, but to your glory. Pray these things in your name. Amen.